This is Pivot Perspectives with Chris O'Byrne, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on their road to success and get exclusive access on how to implement their success into your life and business. Pivot Perspectives is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chris O'Byrne. Sar, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Before we kind of dig into what you're doing now, can you give me some of your background and what led you to where you're at now? No, of course. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question, right? Because uh, I wish I could say it was in a straight line. Um, I started my professional career, in fact, while I was still at university. I was uh, at my last year, my honors year, uh, postgraduate. Uh, I was getting fairly bored. And the only alternative to spending all the time by the beach, this was down in Cape Town, which is some, some of the world's best beaches. Uh, and I kind of felt um, that I wouldn't be able to do this for a long period of time, certainly not for a year. Um, I started looking for opportunities to do something different. And I love speaking with people and I love hearing their stories. So I started reaching out to the farming community and some of the most sophisticated farmers uh, in the wine industry, in the vegetable farming, intensive farming, uh, were around the, the Cape Town area. I started reaching out to them and we started having uh, quite philosophical discussions while we were talking about irrigation and management systems and how to run efficient farming operations. Um, and it was great. I met some incredible people. I got loads of wine bottles uh, of the best quality as, as presents and uh, <laughs> etc. And uh, did it for a while. In fact, got hired by the company that I was representing um, and, and developed the, uh, the whole province uh, for them for about a two-year period. And I really got to to love the, um, the people interactions and, and the networks and, and the and the kind of, um, I didn't know the word ecosystem at that stage, but certainly the, 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 the collective intelligence that um, people in the area have built um, and how they were helping each other become more productive, how they were helping each other solve real problems. Um, and that was kind of my first foray. Um, I then spent a couple of years in manufacturing. I started developing a bigger ambition into taking manufacturers in the uh, in the emerging uh, world, uh, both in, in some of the more industrialized African markets in Latin America, uh, in the Middle East, and take those organizations to market, well, guess what, to the US market. Um, many of them had some preferential access to that market, not in all industries, but in some. Um, but again, what fascinated me more than anything else were the kind of connections that were being built now across the ocean. I mean, just try to imagine this. We're talking early 1990s, and suddenly you had some of the most sophisticated buyers in organizations like Kmart and Target on the retail side, as well as some of the, uh, some of the wholesaling organizations that were venturing into building their own brands. They were venturing into creating strategic relationships with uh, suppliers that were right on the other side of the oceans. And, and we're not just talking about China or India as the two largest ones, but in other countries, in places like Turkey and Mexico and Brazil and South Africa and others. 
And what I found through that process, I guess, are two things. Firstly, a wonderful collective of individuals who their collective wisdom brought about uh, new solutions, brought about some real innovations. And we were, for example, on the first pilot run by Maersk, Maersk Logistics, for container tracking. We forget that I mean, these days you could go online, make a few clicks, and you know exactly where your containers are. 1991, that wasn't the case anywhere in the world. Uh, so we got chosen um, as one of the first companies to be on that container tracking pilot. Um, and so there are a lot of innovations that were becoming available, technological innovations that were being adopted, as well as management innovations. Um, and working with some of the individuals who were literally reaching out to people all around the world. They didn't care whether you were from South Africa or Mexico or Canada or Turkey or any of these countries. They, were, they cared more whether you have a shared ambition with them. They cared more whether together with you they could do something really interesting. And we started a series of conversations about what does their brand really stand for? What does it mean? Uh, could they create an experience for customers that the known name brands were not giving them? Could they do it on their own? Um, and and uh, it was an incredible period of time. I met some incredible individuals um, and organizations that were really ambitious and really outgoing and that were thinking global. In a time period where we didn't have all the systems and all the governance in place yet, we were still kind of trying to figure out how do you route a container from point A to point B uh, in an optimal manner. Um, I spent about seven years with that company, in fact, and, and we had an absolute terrific run um, and built a team uh, that I'm really proud of to this day um, during that period of time. So those are kind of my formative years, um, I guess, as, as I came out of university and, and, and started connecting with people uh, around new ideas. It fascinates me your perspective you have a, a very unique perspective about the world which i think has affected how you view business and then now how you are able to make these connections and have these insights you didn't have the traditional you know uh, or typical i should say viewpoint of business as you sell stuff you try to get people to buy it you market it Everything you just told me was kind of encapsulating all of that. And you use the term ecosystems. Mm. And that's really how you see the world is through this ecosystem lens. So can you explain to me a little more what an ecosystem in business actually means and what it looks like? Sure. So I must first say, you know, um, as much as I'd, I'd love to take credit for it, um, it was really the kind of the seeking of connection with others that kind of brought me to those realizations. And sometimes it wasn't even my realization, it was others that were opening doors and, and asking why not. Um, but if we get to the kind of core of what ecosystems are, I mean, I, I, had, I had the opportunity of, of, um, of learning from the, the, the person who I think really coined the term ecosystem and, and, and made it into a discipline, made it into a management discipline, made it into something that we could practically use and challenge the world to see business differently. And then, that's James Moore. In, in 1993, he started writing, right back in 1993, 
about ecosystems. Um, and in 1998, he wrote his now famous book called The Death of Competition. Um, and, and I remember the minute I picked up that book and I started reading, I kind of went, there's something different here. The, the ideas behind it were so compelling and, and the narrative that he was putting out as to the as to the nature of competition that's changing irrevocably. And we really need to think about how do we respond to this? Um, and, and, and that kind of drew me into this whole, this whole um, field. But in the most simplest of terms, an ecosystem, whether we talk about a biological ecosystem in nature, whether we talk about a business ecosystem, a social ecosystem among stakeholders that do not have commercial interests, you pretty, pretty much boil down to the same thing. It is really a collection of stakeholders that work together towards a shared goal. Now, let me kind of break it down because there's three elements to this that not always um, get noticed. Uh, the word ecosystem, unfortunately, is, is, can be easily misused. Uh, in fact, it's one of the most um, uh, known terms. If you do a Google search, you'll find many, many millions, in fact, of entries around ecosystems. Um, but if I take kind of the, some of that hype away, because I think there's real substance behind it, and I think James Moore really hit the nail on the head when he spoke about it for the first time. And that's still the case today. In fact, I think we're sitting on the cusp of ecosystems becoming something truly transformative across industries, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in, uh, during our conversation. But the three things that really distinguish an ecosystem is firstly the fact that there's a shared goal. Now, that's more than simply, I agree with, or I find that number compelling. Sure, I could sell it to my board. It's much more than that. It means we've got a meeting of the minds. It means that we share a mindset. And therefore, we both understand deeply what that shared goal is. That shared goal very often is around making a real impact. It's more than just getting to a number, although very often there will be a target, a, a, a set of specifically well-defined goals behind it. But the fact that it's shared means that we've both ventured to explore together the potential, the impact that could be had here if we could collaborate and work differently. So that's kind of the first part of our ecosystems that, um, that can be easily forgotten, but without which the ecosystem doesn't come to life. The second thing for me that distinguishing an ecosystem from just an alliance, a collaboration of sorts, some sort of even, dare I say, a partnership that has some sort of a commercial contract behind it, is the fact that in an ecosystem, we don't, we don't work to rule. In other words, we don't have the kind of dominant player that then, uh, if I use a, um, I guess it's a, um, a word like orchestrate, a non-threatening term, I guess, in business. We won't say about dominate or control uh, or work around an organization's ego. But even if, if an organization and its leaders have really good intentions around what the ecosystem around them could create, one of the distinguishing features of any ecosystem is the fact that the ecosystem uh, works um, along shared principles. In other words, we don't have to ask for permission for an ecosystem player to do something. Okay. Uh, yes, there are ground rules. Yes, there are things that we agree up front that we will not do to each other. But we allow the freedom for then for ecosystem role players 
to participate in this ecosystem. In fact, the fact that it's opened up to other and new role players to come in, as long as they agree with the principles, they can participate, they can add value. And that's where very often, and I will speak about it in, the, in, in, the, in, in, in this discussion going forward, that's where you see things like speed, the speed at which ecosystems can deliver. That's where it comes from. It's a fact that it's not hierarchical. We don't have to go and ask for permission. We've agreed up front the principles around which we will create value. And that allows for innovations and creativity. Um, and that leads me, I guess, to the third distinguishing feature of an ecosystem. And that's the fact that an ecosystem allows for new forms of business models, operating models, commercial models, and dare I say innovation. And, and that's probably one of the strongest, uh, most enduring, most compelling features of any ecosystem. It starts off with an idea of how it should operate, but it allows participating parties to find better ways. And if we think about, I guess, any um, uh, impact of note that we want to create in the world, any real challenge that is worthy of solving, think of financial inclusion, um, huge problem, both in emerging countries as well as in developed markets. Um, if we want to think about the democratization of data, uh, of the provision of solutions, um, those do not have the book written of exactly how it should operate. All we know is where do we want to start? And an ecosystem is an organizing um, principle or set of principles and, and a model within which different participating parties know where they start and allow themselves and others to evolve over time. That's how biological ecosystems work as well. You may have started as a certain organism within an ecosystem. Fast forward a few million years uh, in a natural ecosystem, that's how, unfortunately how long it takes and businesses takes much, much faster than that. We can iterate and, and rediscover uh, much quicker. But once you've done that, what you find is the solution is actually better. I, I don't think uh, if we could go back four and a half billion years and says, you know, will man rule the earth? Uh, I don't think we would have gotten to the design of modern, of the modern human being, man or woman, uh, if we would stand at the back there with a single cell organism and say, oh, I know exactly how we got to, the, to a modern human being. That's where I think the power of ecosystems are. It's richness, it's innovation, and its ability to pull different parties together towards a shared outcome. There's been a lot of talk over the last few years about self-managing companies. Mm. What is the connection then with ecosystems and self-managing companies? And my question is, are, is a self-managing company just one of the potential outcomes or iterations of the ecosystem model you know chris it's such a great question and and i remember when i started writing my book i, I had to actually give a, almost a whole chapter to this point um, it's a great point because in fact um ecosystems did not start in 1993 when james moore wrote about it for the first time so, some of the organizing principles around ecosystems self-managing teams being one of them was already being tested in 1960s and certainly by the 1970s. But in the 1980s, people were writing best-selling books around it. Think of Tom Peters and others. 
Um, and in fact, there is a direct link between self-managing teams and, and the many ways in which organizations around the world have been experimenting and testing, and I know some have worked better than others, um, to the advent of ecosystems. What is probably different in, is in today's context, we can get self-managing teams to work with the power of technology. Self-managing teams today could be an ecosystem. In fact, this morning we looked at a, at a biomedical field and, and, and a company out of China that is creating a global ecosystem without the advent of digital technologies and, and the ability to collaborate at scale and across great distances and across organizational silos. We didn't have those solutions back in the 1970s um, so that we can now use self-managing teams dare I say, on steroids. We can create global impact with self-managing teams. But is self-managing teams still in organizing principles of ecosystems? You bet. So it's a great question. I'm so glad you asked me that. Awesome. So uh, now tell me about your company. What, what's the name? What does it do? What do you do? And, and how do you run your company? Sure. So um, my company is called Ascent Growth Partners. We started off in 2016, uh, originally in South Africa, and then we opened up in 2019. Guess what? Six months before the pandemic, and none of us saw that coming, uh, in Singapore. So we have two offices. Uh, and in both places, we find a very rich ecosystem of, of innovators, of people one can collaborate with, and most importantly, of challenges. Um, and I'll come back to that point in a moment. But just to give you a sense what, what effectively how we started, how we got to become this ecosystem-driven organization is, I guess, like many innovators, we faced a challenge um, that through conversations with clients, in those cases, there were potential clients, they weren't, the company didn't exist when we started those conversations, we just had this idea, we came across this challenge that was recurring that organizations of node, of scale, of real capabilities couldn't solve on their own. And they were recognizing that. And they were looking for new partners. And that was around the ability to grow into new ecosystems. We were talking to financial services firms, to banks, highly regulated, incredibly capable, who were wanting to br branch out into non-regulated, still banking services. Those were the kind of ecosystems that were being built around mobile technologies, for example. Uh, they were built around social partners and communities that were wanting to now create and, and be able to source financial services in a more inclusive manner. And those organizations that were speaking to us were seeing the opportunity and we're talking to people who could help them, but there wasn't an organizing structure around it. It was a bunch of experiments that no one can kind of put their finger and, and firstly, sell to their board. Secondly, get a recurring a finance or, or funding for. And, and thirdly, they were struggling to measure the impact because a lot of these organizations, and, and still to today, get run by measuring output. You said you're going to do X. Have we achieved X? ROE, net earnings, you name it, however way you want to measure results. 
when we speak about ecosystems, we transcend, we still measure the outputs. Those are still fundamentally important. But more importantly, we measure the impact. We ask the question, were we able to create the impact that we desired? Even if we found a better way of doing it, a different way of doing it, a way that maybe required 10% more investment over a five-year period, but created an impact that's threefold of what you originally envisaged. Is that a good outcome? In most cases, absolutely. Um, but does it still require to go to your board and convince them that additional investment is required or perhaps that you need to collaborate with other institutions, sometimes even your own competitors? Sure it does. And, and that's how we started. We ended up with an organization that had exactly this problem that couldn't solve it using traditional business as usual means. And I remember we were on a flight back to South Africa and we all kind of looked at each other and went, I think there's a real business here. I think if we could help solve this problem using a different model, an ecosystem-driven model, there's something real here. Should we say yes? And we decided to say yes, and I guess the rest is history. But, but, but perhaps, Chris, maybe just one more thing I want to add to it, and that is we weren't alone. When we started recognizing the potential of doing ecosystem-based work, when we started seeing the kind of impact that client organizations could have if they would step beyond their organizational silos into these ecosystems, some within their own businesses, cross-functional collaboration, some outside of their businesses, cross-industry collaboration and, and, and innovation, open innovation networks. The one thing that we recognized is, in fact, your good point earlier, self-managing teams, there were people in organizations that were already pathfinding this, this way of working and its implications before us. So, you know, just to mention a few names, and I've got to mention them, I guess, for credit. I have to give them the credit for it. Um, if I think of, for example, uh, Innosite. Uh, Innosite, uh, which is a US-based, with a Singapore office, but a US-based strategy firm, um, did work in this space and with, was thinking about the kind of potential impact of this work. This is the firm that was established by Clay Christensen, the late Clay Christensen, um, was already doing work in that space and was posing very similar questions to ourselves. So we started learning. <laughs> Uh, from each other. Um, I remember there's a firm called Fahrenheit 212, uh, based 212 in New York. Um, they're now part of Capgemini. They also were one of the first pioneers in the field of aligning your incentives with those of your clients. So what if you don't go to your clients and charge by the hour, by the day, uh, by some uh, you know safe retainer base, but actually have skin in the game? Actually co- a, a, um, commit to a set of outcomes. Would you be willing to do that? And and I love speaking with 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 the guys at Fahrenheit two one two even before they they became part of Capgemini, even before they got acquired, because they they were very honest with us. They said, "Listen, we start we started using this this kind of uh, aligning incentive with clients, and you know the first year was horrible. We made so many mistakes, um, but we decided not to not to leave the principle behind." but rather to improve the method. Uh, and that gave me a lot of inspiration of saying, we're probably not gonna get it right in year one either, but I wanna be that part of history, on that side of history. And that's what we did. Um, and the last thing that we then did 
is once we said yes to clients and we started doing work in that space, we had to write the manifesto. And it's a document that our team wrote. Uh, by some miracle, we managed to get them all into the same room physically. Um, and, and we wrote this document that, that shared our management principles, the way we work with clients, the, the shared goals that we have with clients. And that document is available to download from our website. We make it available to anyone who we work with, business partner or client alike. And that's off, very often that first resonance where people say, I'd love to work with people like you. Um, and that's more important for me than any written contract or, or you know, set of, set of metrics that, of course, one puts in place. It's saying we're both in and there's something fundamental we can achieve here. Let's build the ecosystem around this. You mentioned a word earlier that I want to dig a little deeper into, and that is challengers. Can mm. you can you tell me the definition of a challenger, what that kind of person looks like, and and how they act within a business setting? Sure. So I mean, it's it's a great point, and and it's actually something that that in my book, I I I, I in fact I dedicate two whole chapters to it. Uh, who is a challenger? Uh, that's the hero of our story. That's the person who we would love um, the reader to identify themselves in um, and see themselves, in fact, as the hero of the story. We just we just provide the you know the the environment within which they can recognize that. Nothing more. Um, we are the side actors here, um, and in fact. What, what I do find, and, and perhaps let me start there, challenge has been around as all as humanity. Challenger is a mindset more than anything else. Uh, we find challenges in ancient times. There were explorers of note that, uh, you know, um, boarded ships, uh, got into horses and rode into the sunset to discover new things. Uh, we've had challenges in the business world since since the early ways in which we conducted business and scientific management uh, in earlier forms of organizing and managing uh, uh, enterprises um, and certainly in today's world we find challenges more and more in business ecosystems i would even venture to say i've yet to find an ecosystem whatever industry it starts off with healthcare, telecommunications, ICT more broadly, media, financial services, resources, energy, you name it. Um, I, I've yet to find an industry where, or rather an ecosystem, where I could not identify the challenger. And in fact, there's often more than one challenger in that ecosystem. Ecosystem are just the modern day context, the modern day setup. Um, within which, or, or yeah, within which um, challenges step in and start developing. Um, but the concept of challenge has been around with us for many, many years. Now, to the definition, uh, a challenger for us is more than anything else. Um, it's a mindset that an individual assumes, and once they assume that mindset, a few things happen. Firstly they start to see, visibly see, the assumptions or the paradigms under which the organization, the industry, the association, the market has been operating under. Now, that's really important because if you don't recognize those assumptions, and, and boy, if you've been in an industry for 20, 30, 40 years, 
you become you become blind to those things. They're so obvious that you'll bump into them and you wouldn't even know they were there. Um, but even people, and funny, I, I was communicating this morning with a challenger in our challenger CEO community, um, wonderful lady who's been in the industry for 39 years. And I asked her the question, now that you ventured on your own, you've left the corporate environment and you're building this new ecosystem in the healthcare space. Um, did you anticipate, you know, that, that it's going to go so well right off the bat that you'll gather such speed and build this ecosystem of, coll of collaborators and partners with you? And she said, you know, funny, the 39 years that I've been in healthcare, I didn't see it. But the minute I stepped out, I could recognize how valuable those 39 years were. So for me, that, that challenger mindset, and I hope that example resonates, um, is, is really around using that, that mindset to see very often for the first time those assumptions, those paradigms, those limitations that we hold ourselves to. And then secondly, starting to challenge those, starting to explore better business models, better organizing principles, better partnerships. Um, and that's that's kind of the essence of being a challenger. And then perhaps just perhaps as a third point, if you allow me, the becoming a challenger is using this mindset equals action. You know, one of the first lessons I've learned in the business world is, and I've had some great mentors, is there isn't a decision that you make without action. If you didn't take action, you actually didn't make a decision. Now, we can all philosophize that I've made a decision and we've noted it and it's some, in some document and it's triple stamped by a board and some governing body. My experience has been you haven't made a decision at all. The decision only really gets made once you decide and start to take action. And that's the third distinguishing feature of challengers. They take action almost immediately after recognizing that the decision is now being made, just in their own mind. They'll start taking action to elicit the support and collaboration of other challenges. They'll find connections, even within their own industry, even within their own organization, to do something differently. They'll start to draw out on, on, on a flip chart, on, on a whiteboard, on their iPad, what the new business model should look like. In fact, when we work with them at Ascent, the first thing that will happen, almost without fail, is the, the challenger, the CEO often, or another challenger in the organization that invited us in. They'll take us to that iPad, flip chart, whiteboard, and they'll start sketching what that new business model looks like. They're already in. They are taking action visually, literally in front of us. And that's often why challenges are so effective in their work, because they're very action-orientated. But their actions are in, in serving a new ecosystem, in serving a new solution. They're already envisioning what that could look like. And, and therefore, their actions are as much in thinking as in the actual execution of it. I, I, in fact, they don't see a difference between thinking, doing, learning. That cycle keeps on happening iteratively um, uh, you know, by them and people around them. Um, so, so that, for me, is... is, is is what a challenger is. And we've run entire studies of profiling them. We have assessment tools to measure whether you are a challenger and more importantly, what type of challenger you are, to what degree and what mindsets you hold. And most importantly, what are some of the practical tools that you can use to 
affected you know the kind of impact that you desire that you want to make um, so that's what makes me excited about working with challenges i guess i have a new perspective now of of what a challenger is and i think it, it even applies to the biological ecosystems within an ecosystem there for it to evolve there is always some form of catalyst sometimes yes. it's it could be a change in the weather it could be a change it's a change that affects the system and then the system evolves and it can be positive or it can be negative but we know that it does tend to be um really especially in business when it's allowed to run its course to be yes. a more positive outcome because the negative outcomes fizzle out and they you know they don't work so i think a challenger is that main catalyst within a business ecosystem that's going to be it's it's almost the only way you're going to see change you're going to see changes in market markets affect things there are other outside factors but and again you talk about how quickly a business ecosystem can evolve compared to a natural one um, mm. that that challenger is so vital it's the key position i think within the business ecosystem that forces it to evolve in a positive manner absolutely i mean there's always a a trigger if i use um what you've just said you know in terms of a natural ecosystem if you go to the edge of an ecosystem and and, and hopefully this resonates with with your audiences um say an estuary that opens up to the to the open sea um what you'll find particularly as the tide changes you'll see our organisms um play differently uh, they'll either find shelter or the behavior will change as they move from the open sea into the estuary or the other way around uh, in fact the, the fastest rate of evolution in the natural world take place at the edge of an ecosystem uh, or or in, in in time in ages where uh, you know where the climate changes same organizing principle so what what we do find is that trigger takes place through these actors through these challenges and it's because they purposefully place themselves at the edge of an ecosystem um, and that's 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 where you have such a sense of agency that's where challenges out there in whichever industry they're currently in whatever their career aspirations are or, or their broader aspirations in life i very often find that they purposefully place themselves position themselves at the edge of that ecosystem so they could watch and they could see how the evolution might take place and they draw inspiration from nature uh, from from social movements uh, from new ideas um, and 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 that is such um it's such an important practice that we speak about in the book that makes challenges what they are that makes them great ecosystem builders it's because they position themselves there and sometimes it doesn't have to be even a long uh, a long haul you don't have to take yourself you know to the other side of the planet to do that some have um it's sometimes literally just um take yourself on a walk and and noticing nature um and noticing how different organisms communicate with one another uh, or sitting by the seaside at 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 sunset uh, or sunrise uh, or watching the tides change 
those are the kinds of things that it's, it's, it's humans, as individuals, these challenges, these CEOs, these other senior executives, these leaders share with us is where their greatest kind of epiphanies happen, where their greatest insights happen, and where they where they draw themselves into action. Yeah. And then when you speak with their teams in the kind of the next day and 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 you kind of realize how much of an impact that that encounter that has had on them, then so you kind of realize they're actually building something. I'm glad you brought that up about the about the the edges of the ecosystem. You know, they're they're transition zones. And what's interesting is the transition zone in nature is where the highest biodiversity exists. Absolutely. Uh, you're spot on. And so that's, that's what's the biggest challenge to hmm. what's the biggest challenge that you see in your work with clients where this business as usual response no longer works? It's a great question. I, I think what we see most often in where we all sometimes need to practice some patience because, uh, you know, we have to be conscious that um, even the greatest of challenges have gone through periods of non-challenging, of um, positioning themselves in time, of timing their response to what they already see and they know has got to change and they know that the business as usual response will not work anymore or any longer. So, so timing oneself is an important practice that we speak about in the book. Um, but beyond that, what I, what I find the greatest challenge is their ability to take the people around them who are so steeped in the business as usual into a space, into the edge of the ecosystem to make, this, to make them see what they already see. And, and sometimes, you know, one of our clients said it so nicely, you know, he, he took his CEO uh, out to dinner and he said, you know, it's going to be a very long dinner. It's going to be a very liquid dinner, but I'll take one for the team because I know if I could just get him to see what I already see, uh, the business will look differently. And, and boy, you would not believe how quickly that, that happened. I have to give credit both to him and the CEO because they both shifted in, in a matter of a few weeks. And, and a month later, they were sitting in front of their board and they were getting approval for changes that, yes, under the radar screen, we worked together with them towards, but the real shift happened with them. Uh, you could argue the timing was right, but more than anything else, that particular challenger took the opportunity to take the people closest to him to, to shift to take them into the edge of the ecosystem so they could see what he already sees. And that's where the biggest shifts take place. So, so for me, that's the biggest challenge is, 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 is kind of fighting the, the business as usual response, which wants you to almost go to sleep, which wants kind of to numb you into not making those changes. Even though in every part of your body you know that that change is coming you know that it's that we've got to make a change and you know that the business as usual won't get us there and therefore you take the deliberate action to do something different um, you know we've had another challenger who for example um, decided to take a card game um, and send it to a bunch of CEOs in, in, in his ecosystem 
to just get that response. So when they got the card game and they started seeing the messages on those cards, they suddenly realized that um, the challenge they were all facing was common. They all pointed to the same visuals. And that was such a creative way of getting others to see the challenge like them. There's so many ways of being able to bring others around you, even if they're so steeped in the business as usual that you almost, you almost want to say, is it even worth trying? And my message to these individuals are, you're more than halfway there. You're already actively being a challenger. All you got to do now is get one or two people around you that you need to be in your ecosystem, just to the edge of that ecosystem. And, and once you do that, um, you don't have to push anymore. In fact, some of these individuals who are now converted, who will now see how, uh, how to see their environment differently and the challenges that they really face within their own organization, they'll be some of your best allies, some of your best uh, endorsers. Um, and I guess to those who will be working in the, in the change space, that probably doesn't come as a surprise. But it's particularly powerful in the age of ecosystems because the upside potential is very often tremendous. We find on average, almost across industries, that once you put together an ecosystem strategy, once you ask the question, what's the upside potential for us, for me, for my customer, for my business partner, um, for the data analytics firm that's helping me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, what you find is that on average, the, the the case for this is three to four times, three to four times, what it was when you just looked at your own firm. Now, if you think of it, nothing has changed, right? It's not like the the, the, the underlying economic realities of your industry suddenly, within a mere few weeks, have changed. It's your paradigm that's shifted. It's you looking at the opportunity and starting to count areas of value that were not visible to your organization. That somehow three years ago, five years ago, six months ago, 10 years ago, someone decided we shouldn't count this. It's not in our lane. Let someone else worry about that. We now have the technologies. We now have the data. We now have the management principles and processes to be able to collaborate within an ecosystem far better than we did when James Moore first wrote his, uh, his manifesto, The Death of Competition. So can you tell me more about your challenger CEO community? Sure. So again, I guess like, uh, like many challengers, it started as an experiment. Uh, we were sitting one day kind of throwing some ideas at, at the wall and kind of going, hmm, it's interesting, isn't it, that some of the best ideas of where to challenge, where to innovate, come in a particular type of conversation with our clients, with some of our business partners, with our broader ecosystem of experts uh, that we draw on and we work with. Um, isn't it funny that the conversation tends to follow a very particular pattern? Why don't we send some of these challenges a link, Teams link to a call exactly like we're having now. And let's have a one-hour conversation about that. Funny, maybe they'll maybe they'll prove us wrong. Maybe they'll say, no, there isn't a common process here and there isn't a method to the madness. And 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 worst case, you know, we would have had a good conversation. So we did. We we invited uh, 
probably a dozen or so of them. And, and I asked a, a good friend of mine and, and the Director General of Health in New Zealand, uh, a guy by the name of Chai Chua, fantastic individual, um, to come on as a guest and, and to tell us about a challenging situation. And he did. He came and told us about a very challenging situation in, in, in the state of healthcare around the world and some of the scenarios that we're seeing playing out and what could happen next. And, 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 and two things happened, in fact. The first thing is he made a prediction that uh, the, um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand would resign within a very short period of time. That happened to our astonishment within 24 hours of us recording that particular episode. Literally 24 hours. So we went, boy, okay, it's clearly something that, that he either knew or that uh, he, he managed to anticipate um, using many of the processes that we use in our own work, so that that was fantastic. That was that was we all had a good laugh about that one. But uh, I guess on a more serious note, um, what that brought about was a fascinating conversation among the dozen or so people in the room. Uh, most CEOs and other challenges of note that could connect with the topic, that could bring the insights that were coming out of that discussion to their own industry. And I remember I closed the, the session and I kind of just glanced at my, at my mobile phone and it, it went wild. It was like a Christmas tree. Everyone on that call wanted to connect with everyone else on that call. And they're all messaging me saying, you know, could I connect with Chris? No, could I connect with John? No, 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 I, I want to talk to Chai. Can you? And we kind of went, hey, I think we've got a community here. Let's just find a practical method by which we can get them onto a platform, a, a some site, some enabling technology that we can have this on a more regular basis. And I wonder what will happen next. So we did. We had a second meeting and then the third and then the fourth. And in fact, we're now celebrating almost a year to the date when we started the community. And, and to the fact that we've got a 75, mem 75 members. 75 challenger CEOs in this community that started with literally an idea and a few people in the room bouncing, you know, some crazy ideas. Um, and for me, that's the power of ecosystems. Uh, I wouldn't tell you it was in a straight line. I wouldn't tell you there weren't sessions where we kind of thought, oh boy, we must have missed something here. Or, you know, where the technology didn't work and, and, we, and we found out to our horror that the, the, the session wasn't recording the video segment and we only had an audio to go with. All these things happened. All these things happen, um, and we learned along the way. But I guess on a more serious note, what we found out more than anything else is the desire of people, the desires of leaders and, and challenges in particular around the world, without fail. We had people all the way from the west coast of the United States to the Philippines, in fact, to New Zealand. So literally uh, across, across the world, across continents, across time zones, what we found is that Challenges in particular and leaders more broadly had the desire to firstly sense check their own understanding of the environment around them. You could see they were coming into these sessions not for us to give them the answer. They would come in and say, hey, you know what, I've got this crazy idea. Or, or I'm looking at this challenge, this crisis, this, this situation that we're in the midst of in in." I just want your, your view on this. What are you seeing? That conversation just got very rich very quickly. Um, and they were contributing to it as much as they were listening in to others. So, so that was a big part of the community. 
And, and I guess with that came the desire to do something together, to, to collaborate, uh, to come to more meetings and, and, and hone in on a particular topic uh, together with other challenges. And in some cases to, um, to connect with them commercially. And, and that's where we kind of left them in the room and said, I think you guys should talk. Um, and so it's funny because sometimes they are both your clients. And obviously, with the right Chinese walls and, and the right mechanisms, you make sure that you know that they they have their own space to develop something new and something really innovative. And and, and those are some of the best conversations. Just just to get the kick of of knowing that you were there in conversation zero, you were there when the idea was just a fledgling. Um, and for me, that that's in essence what the community is about. So the new year, twenty twenty four, is coming fast and what i'm curious about is as a challenger what are you going to be doing differently this next year and what are some of your new year's resolutions ah so i guess some of them are still in the making i think i've i've now confided uh, with with my wife with with my significant other in in some of those you know that's an important part of the process because once you voice them she'll be your best accountability partner so now you know i've got to do something about these things so you know, we're just stepping into November and I'm already in trouble, but uh, in a good way. Um, but but your point, a couple of things we're going to do differently. Um, I guess the first one is at, at a personal level. Uh, I've been invited to speak at a European business school um, at the beginning of December. And it's something that may lead to, to an ongoing series of, of lectures. And it's just something at a personal level where I remember many, many years ago when a career counselor asked me, you know, what do you want to do in life? And this was kind of late at night and you kind of, you knew that this was a very poignant question and, and you shouldn't brush it away. Um, and I said, one of the things that I decided at that stage not to do is, is to kind of venture into academia. And, and I have the opportunity to venture in there, but not in a traditional sense, not in becoming a kind of a faculty member, but being able to contribute as an ecosystem partner as a practitioner of ecosystems in an area that's really dynamic and that I have the fortune and, 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 and the opportunity to contribute to. So at a personal level, uh, that for me is quite exciting. And in fact, we've had a few inquiries of academic institutions, research institutions that have kind of turned to us and say, hey, we want to do something different with you guys in, in the new year. So there's that kind of quasi-academic research part that I'm getting really, really excited about. Um, the second thing that, that's a New Year resolution is that um, we've been working with uh, some, some really exciting multinational firms that have, and in fact, two in particular, that have been adopting the ecosystem model. And our work with them uh, is very much centered around the leadership aspects because that's very often the first thing you've got to tackle. I mean, you could put together a wonderful strategy and it's, it's going to be a beautiful document, but it's going to go nowhere. Um, or you can put together a go-to-market plan and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But what we found is that by working with the leadership team on shifting that mindset towards an ecosystem mindset, that opened up the door to so many other things. Uh, and so we, we are in discussions at the moment of being able not just to introduce the the mindset uh, uh, part of our work it starts off with a mindset game and then 
additional interventions that then build on that to create, I think, what is now what I can look at with a bit of perspective with remarkable speed to create a shifting mindset. You know, when the question got asked is, I'm going to bring 250 people to our next session with you. Could you help them see that they've shifted their mindset? And, and the first answer was, oh boy, what did we get ourselves into? Could we actually do it? It's 250 people. And then you start working with your team. And I, I'm very fortunate. I've got a wonderful team. Um, and, and you start putting this together. And within a few weeks, we had this online, effectively simulated game of how do you shift mindsets? And you could do it with you know up to 500 people uh, in, in the virtual room. So I'm, I'm really excited about what we could do with them because these are organizations that have already declared and, and committed themselves to become an ecosystem organization. Not across the entire business necessarily, but in a particular part of the business where they see growth and, and having the opportunity of working with them in 2024 to make that a reality and to be able to shift that mindset so that it becomes available. And here's, here's, the, here's I guess, the punchline more than anything else. Here's the thing that got me seriously excited, not just with them and their leadership team. The ask is with their ecosystem partners. So could you help the ecosystem leadership shift? Um, and I'm pretty excited about what we would do with them in the coming year. So that, that's, a, that's, a bit, that's a big, um, I guess, New Year resolution. And the third thing, which I guess you know really well, is it going to happen literally as we turn the page onto 2024 is my book then gets published. Um, and oh boy, that's been a journey. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. I mean, both in terms of their reviews and, and the kind of feedback that we're getting already uh, through the editing process and the kind of people that we've reached out to and said, you know, what do you think? I've been working on this book probably for about 18 months now, if not longer, in fact. And it's kind of now you put it in someone's hand and saying, what do you think? You know, is this, is this, um, you know, is, is this, would you buy the book? You know, uh, what would you tell others? Would you share the, the news with others in your ecosystem? And we're getting some fantastic reviews. And um, I'm, I'm excited by that. Um, for anyone who's considering writing a book, uh, I would say, you know, this is, this is a commitment. It is something you don't do, you don't do lightly. But but the good news is it's probably if you if you already asked me the question that means that you've already committed. You just didn't get the formal memo. That's why people like Chris and others are here to help you kind of formalize and shape and and kind of admit to yourself that this is part of your own personal development. That's part of your own even in a, in a way if I could dare say your own spiritual development. You 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 know writing a book is. It's not just a physical commitment or a mental commitment. You, you, you're bringing to the world something new. You bring to the world something that you've somehow, in some mysterious way, recognize that the world needs. And, and that's the biggest satisfaction out of it. Um, and when we sit now in the, in other, on the other side of the festive season and, and, and the book goes live on Amazon, you know, uh, at least the first instance, the digital book and then the, the physical book version, I'm 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 super excited about that because I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do this. It's not just a book about ecosystem and the challenges that drive them and build them and make them real. It's it it wouldn't have been it would have been impossible to write this book without the ecosystem that we've built 
around us. Um, so it's a demonstration of what an ecosystem could deliver and contribute to in in a in a in a, in a relative term in a very short period of time. So, what is the one place uh, that people can go to to learn more about you, ecosystems, challengers? What's one place you can send them to? Well, I guess the easiest place one could go to is just my LinkedIn profile, which I'm, I'll happily share. Um, and, and secondly, would be our website, uh, ascend-growth.com. Uh, there are links there into the book, uh, into our Challenger CEO community, into content events, uh, live events that we participated in and were, were fortunate enough to contribute to. Um, I would probably say that that's the first place. But if I could, if I could ask for one thing, and that is whomever you are, um, if this resonates with you, if, if you've read, if you've downloaded, you know, a, a sample chapter of, of the book and you've liked it, um, if you see potential for this in your own environment, um, have the conversation. There'll be a link to, and, and for practical purposes, obviously, yeah, we wouldn't be able to do it with every single person, but, but I have committed to giving of my time to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations for one purpose only. And that is the conversation amongst challengers. Even if you just discovered yourself to be a challenger for the first time is super important. And, and the upside potential of it, whatever course it takes is so worthwhile. And, and for me, that is, um, that, that is an important part of this book writing process. Maybe perhaps, Chris, if I could share just one last uh, example. Please. Um, in, in a couple of weeks back, um, literally after I finished a conversation with this particular multinational that, that we are now speaking to, um, a young man phoned me. Um, he's based in Denmark, if I remember correctly. Um, and he's in the process of developing this platform where ecosystem players could uh, be remunerated for their contribution to the ecosystem. So it's a form of uh, distributed finance. It's a platform through which payments can take place, but using ecosystem principles. So you don't have to now someone manually decide that partner gets 30% and that partner gets 50, et cetera, et cetera. You decide it up front and, and the platform literally distributes in real time, uh, avoiding all the stops and starts along the way that payment systems generally do have. Um, a young men that developed this platform and he asked me the question of would I introduce him to this particular multinational? Because this could something that could be tested in parallel to our work with them. Um, and, and what ensued was a series of conversations around how do we optimize the ecosystem? What is the role of distributed finance in it? Um, how do we get people to want to use this kind of solution? And, and just that conversation alone was so valuable. I have no doubt that in 2024, both of us are going to be sitting on the other side with that multinational and the myriad of partners. And, and we'll say, we're so glad that we had that conversation. That was a 30-minute conversation. But it, it created such resonance and it was enabled both myself and him to, um, to connect the dots and to see how whether you are the provider of technology solutions, whether you are the ecosystem orchestrator, 
whether you are the multinationals who don't want to be the orchestrator but want to be a funder of the ecosystem, whether you're the customer who's looking for the ecosystem to provide you with the kind of service that you're seeking, whatever role player you are, whether you are the nonprofit organization that wants to contribute and have valuable data to contribute and, and to share with the ecosystem, whatever role play uh, or role player that you find yourself as, I would say, um, if you read the book uh, in whatever form, if you listen to this particular episode, um, you know, um, go and look for the link and let's have a conversation. Because sometimes those short conversation, exploratory conversation could lead us to some really, really valuable spaces. And that's something that I've committed some of my time to. And I'd love to have that with some of your audience members. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise today. Uh, this has been an extremely valuable uh, time. I, I, I picked up so much more just from listening to you. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you. No, absolute pleasure, Chris. Thanks for, thanks for instigating this and, and, and sharing it with your audiences. You got it. Thanks for listening to Pivot Perspectives with your host, Chris O'Byrne. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advice on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.